0: Well, good morning. morning. Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. I I hope you feel the same way. I'm excited. we got church going on today. We've been worshiping. We've got baptisms today. We've got a child dedication today. Like, we are rocking and rolling, and it is good, and it's good to look out and see all of you here. And I want to celebrate something. Last couple of weeks kind of felt a little heavy in self-reflection. Somebody even asked me, Pastor, are you okay? Are you getting discouraged? Like, you've been kind of laying it on us a little thicker uh, than normal lately. And I'm like, no, everything's really good. Like, trust me, things are really, really good. Um, And I had a conversation with somebody. I got to go to lunch with somebody who started attending around the first of the year. And I just said, hey, what's the first couple of months at Linwood been like for you? And he just had one positive thing after another to say. He's like, you know, it's just been amazing. We... Have felt so welcomed, so at home in this church, in this family of families. You guys are really living that. We feel it. Our kids love going to Kids Way. We love coming to service. We are excited to start plugging in and serving. They've started a banding together group. uh, And it's just, it's like, yes. So, way to be an awesome church, way to be a wonderful family of families. The vision is coming into reality. So, praise God we have much to celebrate. I even talked to another person, I just got to share this because this was so exciting. I just checked in on somebody who I had referred to another banding together group a couple of weeks ago. I said, hey man, how's that going? Are you meshing with those guys? And I got this huge long text back, right? And it was just like, yes, I just love that meeting. I love, I got a new Bible. I'm reading it every day. It's making a difference in my life. I'm getting to know these guys. They're awesome guys. Perfect group for me. Perfect fit. It's just been amazing. So, Way to be praying, way to be serving, way to be making a difference uh, through this church. It is reaching people's lives, and it is making a big difference. And so we're right in the middle of a series titled Kingdom Culture. And we're talking about getting the culture of God's kingdom into our lives, into our church life, and into the world around us through us. So we're, we're wanting to put the kingdom over the culture. That's why the image has kingdom and then a line. We want to put the kingdom over the culture... And culture is upside down and backwards because, let's just face it, that's kind of the world we're living in. Uh, The culture out there is upside down and backwards. But Jesus presents a vision for a kingdom, for a way of living in the world that is contrary to that, that is right side up. And he wants us to be the bearers of that kingdom culture into the culture around us. And that requires us to live as productive members of that culture without sort of assimilating, blending in, disappearing in it or withdrawing so completely from it that we lose the opportunity to live in it and influence it for God's kingdom culture. So far we've talked about how kingdom culture is a Christ-centered culture, that it doesn't just kind of swing through Jesus every now and then, but it's centered On him. And last week we talked about how kingdom culture is a serving culture. We looked at the parable of the vineyard and how everybody had work to do. Whether they came early or they came late, there was work to do because kingdom culture is a serving culture. And I want to celebrate the response. It was fun to get a text from Pastor Sandy after uh, service had ended about one o'clock. She says, I don't know what you and the Holy Spirit were up to today, but man, I've been. Really busy with people reaching out. They want to serve. They want to help in the nursery. They want to help open up this second classroom and do these different things. And -and so-and-so is going to start helping on Wednesday nights as well. And it was exciting to hear that response that people heard and responded in faith to what they heard. And things are happening. And that's exciting as well. Because when we move forward in faith, when we respond to what we hear in faith, that's how we change the world. That's how kingdom culture gets into the world. It happens through us. We're plan A. We are the church. The church is the hope of the world. And we need to live as though we are the hope of the world. And so today we're going to look at prayer. The message is titled Prayer. We're going to talk about prayer and how the kingdom culture is a prayerful culture. I was going to save the bottom line for the end, but you're probably noticing a theme anyway. So you probably had a pretty good idea of what that is going to be. But we're going to look at a different prayer. Last week, we, we recited the Lord's Prayer in service. And in some ways, the Lord's Prayer is actually the disciples' prayer. Because in Luke chapter 11, the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And that's when he shares the Lord's Prayer with them. In Matthew's gospel, uh, he just puts it right in with the Sermon on the Mount. But there's a prayer that Jesus prays, where I believe he was modeling how to pray. And it's a beautiful, powerful prayer at a very powerful moment, a poignant moment in Jesus' ministry. And so we're going to look at his prayer in John chapter 17. If you have one of our pew Bibles that are in the chairs in front of you, you can turn to page 1679. Everything's going to be on the screen, but I want to kind of set this up because I noticed when I was reading through, and I often will broaden the passage and look at the chapters before and the chapters after and find out where this... This passage that I'm going to preach on fits in the broader narrative. And I notice that the chapters 13 through 17 are identified in John's gospel as the cleansing and instruction of the new messianic community and Jesus's final prayer. So, Jesus's final prayer comes in John 17, but the cleansing and instruction of the new messianic community happens in John 13, 14, 15, and 16. John 13, if you're familiar, is where the disciples have their feet washed by Jesus. He's cleansing them. He's cleansing this new messianic community, the community of the Messiah. Then he instructs them After he cleanses them, Judas leaves, and now he instructs them in John 14, 15, and 16, and he teaches them about the Holy Spirit, about the Holy Spirit who's going to come to them and who's going to lead them into all the truth, who's going to remind them and instruct them of everything that Jesus taught them. And so he's instructing them, and in in chapter 17, he shows them how to pray. He shows them how he prays. And I couldn't help but notice that this messianic community would be the community of the Messiah. It's kingdom culture. He's talking about kingdom culture. He's modeling kingdom culture. He's modeling prayer to this new messianic community and helping to establish kingdom culture in their lives. And just before this prayer, he says something really important in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I have told you these things, all that this I've been instructing you about the Holy Spirit, so that in me you may have peace. Jesus really wanted his disciples to have peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence and hope and reliance upon God in the midst of conflict. He says that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You're on the winning team. You don't need to freak out when troubles come your way. You can have peace in the midst of troubles. In fact, in John 14, 27, right in the middle of this last discourse, he says to them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. There is a peace that is a hallmark of the kingdom culture that he came to establish. It's found in him and it's available to us when we fix our lives, center our lives on him. And it strikes me that he's about to go through the worst thing ever, the worst thing anyone has ever gone through, taking on the sin and shame and guilt of the whole world, all people everywhere for all time. And yet, he prayed more for others (laughs) and for us than he did for himself. We look at this passage as we look at John 17. We see him praying for others more than he prayed for himself, even though he's about to go through the worst thing ever. And I think that's why this is often referred to as the high priestly prayer. Maybe your Bible delineates it that way. The high priestly prayer, prayer, Jesus' high priestly prayer. And it's broken up into three sections, and so that's how we're going to kind of look at it as well. That Jesus prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for all believers. And so as we go through this, I want you to be reflecting on and thinking about what can I learn from this? Can this prayer become a model for my prayer? Are there ways that I can learn and model my prayer after Jesus as well? Because there are some powerful things that we see in here. The first section there is John 17, verses 1 through 5, where Jesus prays for himself. Let me read that to you, and then we'll kind of walk through it. After Jesus said this, that in this world you'll have troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. After he said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. So this is the section where Jesus is praying for himself. And it's interesting for me, I've had a conviction for some time that you, you capitalized the pronouns of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? And so you maybe have noticed that I do that even though the NIV doesn't do that. Well, this passage really taxed me on that. And I had to go through it multiple times. There's a lot of pronouns of God and Jesus. And so there's a lot to capitalize because God is praying to God about God. That's what's going on as Jesus prays, you know, the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's praying to his Heavenly Father. And do you see what his prayer is mostly about in verse 1, 4, and 5? It's about glory. It's about God's glory. And because God is praying to God about God and God's glory, God is asking God to glorify God so that God will get glory. Do you see that? That his glory is what attracts us to him. His glory is what will draw people to him. And he knows, I'm about to be nailed to a cross. But glorify yourself. By glorifying me. Jesus prays that he would be glorified by God so that he could glorify God in verse 1. In verse 4 and 5, he defines how that takes place. He says, I brought you glory by completing the work that you gave me to do. He was among us as one who served. Last week we talked about how kingdom culture is a serving culture. The king served. He did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he's asking God to glorify him. Now, verses 2 and 3, right in the middle there, between 1 and and 4 and 5, focus on the mission of bringing eternal life to us. This was his mission, that he would bring eternal life to the people of God and to those who were far from God. And he defines eternal life as knowing God and knowing Jesus in an intimate personal relationship, that they may know, not just an intellectual assent, but know, really know, like you know your wife, or like you know your kids, or like you know your best friend, where you really know. And things don't require a lot of explanation because you know the backstory, and you understand how they value things in the world. And so when they say something, you understand. That's the way we're supposed to know God and be known by God. Knowing God as a person, not just knowing about Him. That was the real shift for me. I knew a lot about God. I grew up in the church. I was probably in church 45, 50 Sundays a year. I knew a lot about him, but I didn't really get to know him until I began a personal relationship with him. And even then, there's been depths of knowledge that have been added as I've spent more time with him, just like any relationship in your life. And he wants us to know him, not just know about him. And so that's sort of sandwiched in the middle that we would have eternal life between the glory that Jesus is seeking for himself and for God, the glory that he wants to fill this world. And it's interesting to me if we think about this prayer as we transition from Jesus praying for himself, there's a lot of language about the past here, that he's been with him from the beginning, from the time the world began. He's sort of looking back, I've done the work that you asked me to do. He's sort of praying for the past, and then he transitions into praying for the present. That in verses 6 through 19, which is a big chunk, so we're probably not going to try to tackle that all at once. We'll, we'll look at 6 through 12, and then we'll look at 13 through 19. But in these two sections, he's praying for his disciples, his original disciples. He, he's praying for these guys. He knows they're about to go through a, a crucible. He knows that John 16, is about to become a reality in their lives. They're going to have trouble, and they're going to need to take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. So he prays for those who are going to carry the mission forward. He actually prays for them more than he prays for himself and for all believers afterwards. This is the meat of this prayer. He's praying for the men and women who labored to establish the church, and we are the benefactors of that. 2,000 years later. We're the ones who benefit from that. So in verses 6 through 12, he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. He's talking about his disciples. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. So, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. So he's revealing God's full authority to them. They're still there. They haven't left. They can hear him praying this prayer. He can hear him praying for them. And there's something powerful when somebody prays audibly for you, isn't there? Imagine the Son of God, God himself, praying for you. Do you think that was a powerful moment? Do you think he had their attention? Do you think that this was encouraging to them? That he gave them the name, the full authority, all that is true about God, Jesus had given to them. He had helped them to understand who God was and what the game plan was going forward, why this kingdom was so different. And when he says that he protected them, it means he's kept them. He's wanted them to be one, to keep them together. That they would be one with each other as Jesus is one with God, inseparable. And so with that, he moves on, verse 13 through 19, saying, I am coming to you, but I say these things while I'm still in this world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Even though I'm leaving, even though they've become very attached to me, I want them to have joy. As I go to you, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Now there's a lot going on here. He's basically saying, I gave them your word. I gave them your teaching. I gave them my very self. Scripture tells us, John's gospel tells us that Jesus was the word made flesh. He gave himself to them and he's about to give himself for them. And yet in the midst of all this, he prays for their joy. He prays for their protection and he prays for their sanctification. Joy, protection, and sanctification. He prays that they would be in the world, not of the world. And that they would be sanctified by the word. This is kingdom culture in action. This is what we're talking about. He says, I don't pray that they'll be removed from the world and unable to influence it for you, but that they'll be sanctified, set apart, so they don't just blend in like everybody else, but that they would somehow manage to straddle the two kingdoms and bring heaven into earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom vision. And he's saying that here. He's saying... That they would be sanctified by the Word. Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. The teachings of Christ, the teachings of Scripture are the thing that help us be set apart from the world, but not out of the world. That we would be in the world, but not of the world. And so the only way I can summarize this is that holiness matters. The Wesleyan church, the the Wesleyan church as a denomination globally is what we call a holiness movement, a holiness denomination. We value holiness. We value being sanctified. To be sanctified means to be set apart. And we are to be set apart both relationally and morally. We're set apart into a special relationship with God. We are His chosen people in this world. And we are set apart morally morally that we look a little different than the world, that we don't do some of the things that the world does. And we do some things that the world doesn't do because we are set apart morally. That way we can influence the world for Christ, for His kingdom, and for His glory. It all comes back to glory. This is how it happens. This is how we change the world out there. It's by getting the glory of God, the sanctity of God into us, transforming our lives, becoming holy, becoming set apart for God, relationally, morally, so that when we go into that world, we look a little different, we sound a little different. Maybe enough that people would say, what is it about you? There's something about you. And now we have an opportunity. Now we have an open door. And even if they don't, Christians, I think the vision was that Christians would be the kind of people that even people didn't understand. I don't know why they go to church. I don't know why they do all that stuff. But they're the best employees I've ever had. I hope my daughter marries one. I hope my wife marries one. Or my son marries one. Don't hope that your wife marries anybody. Sorry. (laughs) But that we would stand out and be attractive to the culture around us. In fact, Michael Blue says in his book, Free to Follow, The three markers of the early church, which you can read about in Acts, were a dedication to God's word, fellowship with one another, and extravagant sharing. This group of people followed Jesus with abandon. Their lives were compelling. This church drew people to God because of their distinctive lifestyle. Kingdom culture is both compelling and contagious. If there was two bottom lines today, this would be the second bottom line. this This is what Jesus is saying. We need to be compelling and contagious. It should spread like wildfire, this kingdom culture, because it's right side up in a world that's upside down and backwards. And so when people start to recognize it and see that it really is better and see that we really are different and see that we are set apart both morally and relationally unto God, it's compelling. It's contagious. It was then and it is now. And the world takes notice when we live for Jesus. So with that, let's move on to chapter, or to verses 20 through 26. I'm actually doing okay on time today. This is amazing. Some of you were wondering if there was ever gonna be a sermon under 40 minutes again. And I think it's gonna happen today. But you never know. You never know. Sit tight, we'll see. So in verses 20 through 26, he prays for all believers. This is sort of future oriented. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for the people over the last 2,000 years that have named the name of Jesus because of the disciples and their effectiveness in spreading this throughout the world. And so he says, my prayer is not for them alone, for my disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So he's praying for us, and this is, what he's, this is his prayer for you. This is his prayer for us. And unity is a key word in this prayer. And I wonder if this isn't where we could look at how this can and should be a model prayer for our lives. Jesus prayed for himself, he prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for all believers. What if we, at least on occasion, prayed in this format? We can pray for ourselves. Jesus did. You can pray for yourself as well. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with praying for yourself, especially if you pray that God would receive glory through your life, that the end result of you praying for yourself would be that God gets glory in the eyes of others, that God gets glory in his church, that God gets glory in the world around us you can pray for yourself you can pray for your disciples now it helps if you have disciples in order to pray for your disciples and so if you don't have disciples you can pray that god would give you disciples and that you could have eyes to see the people in your life that could be disciples and you could make a an invitation to become a disciple you could be a disciple maker jesus had disciples he prayed for his disciples If we're going to be like Jesus, we should have disciples. We should pray for them. I pray for my disciples on a regular basis. You might expand this a little bit to those who are under your spiritual care. So if you have children, grandchildren, those are disciples. You can include them there, but I wouldn't stop there. I would ask God to give you direct disciples, people who are learning to follow Jesus from you, which means you will have to learn to follow Jesus in a way that other people can translate that into their lives. And so maybe you need to pray for a disciple maker so that you can be made a disciple, so that you can make disciples. All of these, I think, would be pleasing to God. All of these would put a smile on his face if we were to pray, to be a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples. And third, we can pray for all believers. I do this on a regular basis. (laughs) I pray for all the believers in this congregation and I walk through and I touch every seat and I pray for the people that sit in those places and some of you move around a lot and so you come to mind at very different places in the congregation. Others are very much in the same place every week and I pray for you when I go by there if the Lord brings you to mind. And I pray for the people who aren't here yet because people are coming here. People almost every week we see somebody new. And so I pray for the people that are coming this week for the first time and are coming next week for the first time, and then I pray for the people that are impacted through our missions partners and through our lives in this world because each and every one of you touches more people than I'll ever touch between each Sunday. And so I pray for those people that your life is going to touch. And you can do this as well. And it's interesting to me that he prays for three things for these future believers or for those who will hear the message. He prays for unity, he prays for love, he prays for for glory. And I summarize all this by saying that we as believers of Jesus Christ are to strive for unity with God and with each other. That when we have unity with God and unity with each other through love, living lives of sacrificial love to one another, then he will receive glory. And then when there's disunity and there's a lack of love in his church and his family and his people, his glory is diminished. And it happens all too often in the world out there that kingdom culture gets a bad rap because of the disunity and the lack of love in his own church. And So let it not be a part of our lives. Let us not be the ones that that comes into the world through. And before we move on, I just want to highlight that there's a difference between unity and uniformity. He's not saying that they would all be the same, but that they would all be one. You can have vast differences, we can be multicultural, we can be multigenerational. we can come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. We don't all have to look and act the same, but we can have one purpose. And so that's where unity maybe has as much to do with alignment. Not that we're just all doing the same thing, but that we're doing it together. We're moving things together. I talk about a rock, if we all stand on different sides of a rock and push, we have unity, we're all pushing the rock. But it's not going anywhere. It might as well be a beach ball. If we're all pushing, then the strongest is going to roll over the others. But if we have alignment, we all get on the same side of the rock, now we can move things forward together because there's unity and alignment. We're all doing the same thing. We're going in the same direction. That's what Jesus prayed for us, was that we would be one, that we would be one with him and one. With each other. Now, the New Testament teaching on this would be Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, at least one of the clearest, most concise. When we recite the creeds, they often are rooted in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. So I want to read this to you. I'm not going to teach through it. I'm not going to preach through it, but I'm going to read it to you because this is powerful, powerful language that articulates the vision of the kingdom culture in the world, the early church. So Paul writes in the middle of Ephesians, there's six chapters. The first three chapters are all theological. The the last three chapters are all practical. Right as he gets practical, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, because of all that, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are to strive for unity with God and with each other. If I were to preach to that, it would be a whole other sermon. But I already preached that sermon. If you want to listen to that sermon, all you got to do is go to our website, go to 2018. And there's a message series titled A Family of Families when we were sort of casting vision for what kind of church we were going to be. And there's a message there titled A United Family of Families from the summer of 2018. And guess what? It's on our website now. We've revamped, reformatted everything. So every sermon since I got here is available to you. You can go to our website You can click on the sermons, you can click on the year, and there's a whole archive. And then by series, you can pick the message. You can go back and listen through if there's something that sounds really familiar or I'd like to. I reference that sometimes because I have preached the whole other sermon on this. And if you want to know what it looks like to be a united family of families, you can hear about it there. So I mentioned our bottom line earlier, and I want to give it to you again as we bring this to a close. The kingdom culture is a prayerful culture. Jesus prayed all the time. You can really make a case that he never stopped praying. He was in constant communion, communication with God. And that's probably the best definition of prayer that I've ever heard. Is from Dallas Willard. Prayer is conversation with God about matters of mutual concern. Well, Jesus was always conversing with God about matters of mutual concern because they were one as we are to be one with him. And so we can live lives of prayer. We can live prayerful lives. Because the kingdom culture is a prayerful culture. Philippians, two, uh, four, Philippians 4, 4 through 8, came to mind on this passage, uh, this idea of prayer being a part of the kingdom culture. Paul writes to the church at Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Interact with God about these things. Give thanks to God for these things. And so right here in this passage, he's told us to rejoice always. That's a way of praying. To not be anxious, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present our request to God. And then we experience his peace. And we fix our minds and the things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. That's a life of prayer. That's kingdom culture in action. That can start when you walk out these doors. And if you want a shorter version of that, or if you're looking for some verses that'll be easy to memorize, 1st Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 is a great little passage. It summarizes what he just said in Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Be joyful always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He wants you to be joyful. He wants you to pray continually. He wants you to give thanks in all circumstances, not necessarily for all circumstances, but in those circumstances, we can still give thanks to God. That's his will for us who are in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a couple of ways that you can respond to this message. First is we've got a 24 hours of prayer coming up this week Friday 5 p.m. to Saturday at 5 p.m. The sanctuary will be open. The whole church will be open. We'll have prayer stations set up throughout the church. You can start when you come in these doors over here. You can make your way through the various spaces that ministry takes place. This is intentional. Easter is coming. It's almost here. We want to pray. We want to fill this building with prayer so that the people who come will experience God's peace, will be drawn to him, will experience his glory in some way. So if you haven't signed up for the 24 hours of prayer, you can do that in the lobby. You can do it on the app. Make sure if you sign up in the lobby, you grab one of those door information cards. We keep the doors locked so it's a secure secure setting, but there's a code that you can have that will let you get in. So you can pray. This is kind of kicking off our Holy Week this year. That that, that weekend, because next weekend is Palm Sunday, we're going to be praying through the building. There's note cards or postcards on here that you can use to remind yourself of what's going on, but also to invite people to be a part of. And I want to run through this because there's a couple different changes. First, the 24 hours of prayer that I've already mentioned. Second, Palm Sunday on the second, this is when we'll be celebrating communion together this year for our Holy Week observances. And we'll have our children singing with us in worship, leading us in worship next Sunday. And then on Good Friday, not Monday, Thursday, but on Good Friday which is Friday, we're going to have Christ in the Passover. I've said Friday three times because the last couple of years we've done this on Thursday. And if you show up on Thursday, it's going to be dark and quiet. But if you come on Friday, it's going to be amazing. We're going to have a time of worship together. And we're going to have a presentation by a missionary from Jews for Jesus, who is a Christian, a believer in Jesus, who is evangelizing the Jewish people for Christ and he's going to teach us how everything in the Passover, which was celebrated for thousands of years before Jesus came to earth, how everything in the Passover points to Jesus. And it is powerful. I've seen this and experienced this multiple times. I hope you will be there. I hope you will bring somebody with you. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. On Good Friday, we will worship together at 630. We'll have that uh, presentation. And then on Easter morning, we will worship at 9 and 10.30 like we normally do. The last thing that I want to say before we move on is, this is your last chance. We're going to kind of stop talking about our spiritual life survey after this weekend. We've had about 110, 115 people take it. In the past, we've had as many as 140, 150. So if you haven't taken it and you consider Linwood your church home, we would really like for you to take this survey one time. If you have already taken it, please don't take it again just to get the numbers up. Uh, we we would like everybody to take it one time. You can do it on paper, or you can do it with the QR code, or um, on our website. The website is listed there as well. So Jesus prayed for himself, for his disciples, and for all believers. And I believe we can regularly pray for ourselves, for our disciples. Past, present, and future, and for all believers. And I believe that will bring glory and honor to God because kingdom culture is a prayerful culture. How will you respond today? What is the Spirit saying to you? And what does a faith-filled response look like? I mentioned earlier we're celebrating baptisms this morning. If Something in you welled up when I talked about baptism, and you've never been baptized as an adult, and you want to have a conversation about that and be baptized today. We've got clothes you can change into, we've got extra towels. There are no logistical reasons not to. If you want to have that conversation later and be baptized at a later date, indicate it on your connection card. We want to have that conversation if the Lord is leading you in that direction. If you're hearing about this kingdom culture and you realize I don't have the kingdom in me and I'm not in the kingdom, and you want to respond in faith to Jesus Christ today, then today can be the day of your salvation. Today can be the day that you confess your sins. You agree with God that your sin has separated you from him and that he is a holy and righteous God and that you need to be cleansed. You need to be made holy by the blood of Jesus. And so you can accept the gift of God, which is salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You can be made new. You can begin a relationship with him today that will radically alter the course of your life for eternity. And maybe there's a third response. Maybe there's something else that the Spirit has whispered to you. Maybe it's to get serious about praying for disciples or for your disciples or about being a disciple. And I would just encourage you, these next few moments are pivotal. What we do with conviction matters. What we do when the Spirit lays something on us, if we respond in faith, it matters. And if we let the moment pass without responding in faith, it matters. So let us be a people who respond in faith. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for leading us into a kingdom culture that is vastly different than the world around us. Help us, Lord, to be ambassadors for Christ, to be on mission in this world, making disciples who make disciples, responding in faith to what you show us through your word, through prayer, through each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.